Welcome to our podcast. I'm Rachel Day and I'm the founder of Flying School. We're an organisation that aims to help children and adults learn how to fly and also learn how to help others fly. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing a range of different people to ask them about their flying stories, what helped them fly and what stopped them, so that we can all gain some ideas and insights and figure out how to do it ourselves. Thanks for joining me. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited. I've got a great guest with me today, Drew Povey. So in Drew's first year of teaching, he was awarded Teacher of the Year. He eventually went on to become a young head teacher of a tough secondary school, where he became famous when the school was featured in the Channel 4 series, Educating Greater Manchester. Drew has over 20 years experience of working in education, as well as significant experience working as a leadership development consultant in the world of business and sport. In addition, he's the author of two books, Educating Drew and The Leadership Factor. I first met Drew virtually about a month ago when um, someone we both know well, Stuart Pierce, introduced us. Drew's energy and zest for life is infectious. I love his sense of fun and integrity, and I came away from our call buzzing with ideas and feeling inspired. And I see other people doing that, Drew, when, when watching you. He has so much experience working with children, and he's a dad too. So I'm really excited to be able to chat to him about learning to fly and learning how to help children fly. So welcome, Drew. Thank you so much for finding the space to be with me today. And I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you wish I'd said in the introduction? Well, first of all, Rachel, thank you for such a lovely introduction. I'm kind of wanting to stop the podcast now (laughs) because I don't think... I'll be able to live up to those expectations. Uh, the only way is down uh, from here, baby. But um, no, uh, probably other, the only other thing is that I'm a leadership geek. I say that to, to lots of people. And, you know, the feeling mutual. Stuart is a great friend of, of, of both of ours. He's an incredible guy. Um, and that's how we've been able to connect. And from our first conversation, I was desperate to do some work with you. And I hope more into the future as well. Yeah, brilliant. So, Drew, let's get into your story, really. So how would you describe flying for you? What what are you doing? What does it feel like? Well, as I said in our first conversation, um, I'm intrigued by the word flying. Um, I think it's it just made me think about things differently, I suppose. You know, when you get into that point where you're in the moment, uh, you're completely lost in something, you're completely... Um, it's it's all encompassing. You you you're right there doing what you absolutely love doing. It is that feeling of of kind of flying, um, which is a great way of putting it. So for me, um, I think it's one of those times in your life when when there's nothing else you'd rather be doing. You just want to be there. You want to be doing that exact thing. Um, and and I think you know in a in a in a world. Um, where I'm talking about leadership and I'm talking about people and, and I love leadership and people and I love watching people develop. That's a time when I think I feel like I'm really flying. I suppose the people I'm working with, you'd have to ask them if they feel the same. Uh, but I, I feel like that's a time when you're really flying. And of course, personally, you know, you mentioned the fact that I'm a dad and, you know, we often talk about what we do in life. But, you know, the most important thing is, those significant others around you and and being with my family 
you know, our caravan in Wales. And people laugh when I talk about the caravan in Wales. But when we're there as a family, we're, we're having that family moment, you know, the TV's off and the board games come out. And, you know, we're having one of those times as a family when you're looking around and, again, you just lose track of time. You just nowhere else in the world you'd rather be. You're just right there in that very moment. And sometimes we we lose the, that that time when we are completely present. And there's power in that presence, but we can lose that because we're thinking about what we've got to do next or we're kind of stuck where we've been in the past and we're obsessing on that. This is just being right there and just feeling that, that feeling of joy, I, I suppose, is probably the best way I can describe it. It's a brilliant explanation, Drew. It's often quite hard because it is almost a feeling flying, isn't it? And so it's quite hard for us to articulate and find the right language. I love, I love your explanation, and it really it has lets me have a real sense of who you are and what what's important to you as well, which is brilliant. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I, I read a number of years ago um, the work by me, Haile Chinsengmihai, um, which it took me six months to learn how to say his name and I probably still pronounce it incorrectly but he, he did all the work on flow you know and I, I I was I was captivated by that because I was like you know it it kind of resonated with me that there are those times when you get in flow or when I work in elite sport we talk about people being in the zone or you know the sports psychology is around the optimum arousal zone whether that's false drive theory or the inverted U theory you're right there in that kind of high performance moment. You, you're kind of right there. And um, but it was it was the fact that you called it flying, where you can kind of float and you're soaring. And it's it's the feelings you get from that that I actually prefer the phrase flying. So I'm gonna nick that off you if that's all right. And I'm gonna use that with people because I think it 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 really does describe that that feeling of being in flow. Fantastic. So I guess what I'm interested in is often we meet adults and I, you know, I can see from you that you're flying. Um, I know we're not flying all the time. There's times when we're not and et cetera. But how did we get to that point? How do we learn to fly? And, and, and is it possible to help children learn a, a bit quicker, really? So I'm wondering whether if we went back to your childhood, Drew, how did you learn to fly? Can you think of moments or things that happened that really helped you learn? It's a really good question, um, which I'm kind of, my, my, my brain's going overdrive on. I think, I suppose, like a bird flying, if we carry on the analogy, and this might be a bit naff, so if it is, I apologise in advance, but I suppose a bird learns to fly by really having to flap its wings by really having to kind of put in the, the effort. And I'm, I've always believed in the Carol Dweck work that it is, you know, the mindset stuff about the growth mindset and focusing on the effort rather than just the outcome. The Angela Duckworth stuff in Grit, where she talks about effort counting twice um, in that equation. And I've, I've, I've always loved, loved those ideas. And I think from a, a very young age, I, I wasn't particularly gifted at anything. I think people might... Um, argue that I'm still not um, but I've worked hard in my life and um, I think it's about two things for me which are, are always very important it's about how much you care as I think we often forget the importance of really giving a damn about something really caring really believing in something it really kind of consuming you and then once you've kind of 
got that, this is what I care about. Simon Sinek would talk about the why. You know, it's kind of that core purpose stuff, but really caring about it. And then I think on top of the care, it's 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 about trying your best and putting the effort in. So as I as I'm thinking about that, I'm kind of going back to um, a couple of things for me. I suppose playing rugby would have been um, one of the ways I'd have seen this play out because um, I, I was a much better football player than rugby player. Um, and I was actually asked to play rugby for the town team. So I hadn't even played rugby. And I remember going to this session and the coaches there go, well, you, you know, you're quite a big lad and you look like a decent athlete. So all you have to do, if someone comes near you, pick them up and throw them on the floor. And I was like, right, well, I, I can do that. And then he said, and if someone gives you the ball, just run as hard as you can in that direction. So I was like, is that it? He was like, that's it. And I started playing rugby and I was... I was, I was pretty good at it, but I didn't have a clue, Rachel. I just didn't know what I was doing. But I kind of really fell in love with this sport um, very quickly. And whilst I still played a lot of football, and I think I was always better at football than I was at rugby, I really threw myself into it. And because I cared about this and someone had given me the privilege of pay, playing for the town team rather than just playing club level, and then eventually I played club um, level after that, I, I, I cared about it, but then I really realised I had to put the effort in because I wasn't going to be brilliant at rugby. Um, you know, I played at a reasonable level, but I was never going to make it to the top. And I don't ever think I ever thought I was, but I knew I had to put the effort in because I was playing catch up. So every morning I'd get up and I would go downstairs and I'd get the old VHS tapes. So some of the listeners will be going, what is he on about? Um, where was your Sky Plus, Drew? Answer is, we didn't have it. We had VHS tapes. And I wore these tapes. I used to watch these rugby games. And I'd sit there at my breakfast. And I'd study the game. I'd put the effort in. And then I'd go out and I'd practice some of those things that I saw in the game. So, again, it was about the caring and the effort that I think that that, that, that went into it. It was studying it and, and learning how to do it. And I suppose it was the same in my education as well, you know, not being particularly gifted. Um, in any subject, and I found school really hard. Nothing came easy to me. Well, nothing's come easy to me in my life, actually, but it was so hard school, and I definitely had learning difficulties that were were never picked up um, until I became a teacher myself, actually, and I was in a teacher training session. But, it, it, you know, I was always behind the curve, I think, at school, and, again, I was I cared enough about it. I did mess around too much, and I was a pain in the backside, and that's why I think I have them. Um, an affinity with some of the more challenging kids that we have in our education system. But again, because I wasn't great at school, I did care about doing well at school. I did want to, you know, achieve in my life. And I knew that working and understanding and learning was key. So then I put the effort in there too. So I kind of have this model of, I suppose it's, it's the hare and the tortoise, isn't it? You know, I'm slow and steady. I'm not going to break any records at anything at any point in my life ever. But what I can do is I can work really damn hard. And I suppose I've carried that through in my life. And how that links to flying is that when I'm doing that, putting the effort in, the iceberg stuff, you know, the um, Sylvia Duckworth mm -hmm. stuff, you know, the iceberg, the majority of the work is below the surface and you don't ever see it. And that's what I try and do. I put in the effort. I, I put in the hard work. I've got the discipline. Oh, millions of failures over time. But actually seeing that as part of the process for me has been key. That's been the bit that allows you to do the stuff at the top.
you know, and, and the fact that I even became a head teacher, I mean, that's like, if you'd have asked any of my school teachers, they'd have found that hilarious. Um, and, and, and I suppose so do I in many ways. So I think there's, there's a lot there. It's about caring. It's about the effort. But that process as well and seeing the improvements, I think, creates the flying. And I think when I get my head down into something and I enjoy that work, if I'm interested in it, then I find that I'm flying. That's a brilliant answer. Thanks, Drew. And I guess what I'm wondering about is when you talk about caring enough to really put the work in and put the discipline in. So obviously rugby was an example of you wanting to do well. Something pushed you to really watch those VHS tapes and really work hard on it. Yeah. Where where do you get that from, do you think? Like what was the trigger for that to care enough about wanting to succeed, which is sort of what I think I hear you saying. Yeah, okay. So that's yeah, that's probably going another layer down, isn't it? Digging a bit deeper. I mean, my parents were slightly at a loss with me at the age of 10 because they were like, you know, not doing well at school. The teachers are pulling us in a lot into school, saying, like, he is not like his brother, who was very clever and very well behaved. He was a prefect. And then we've got the prefect on duty having to sit with his younger brother who's been kicked out of another lesson. I mean, it was like Ross and just my older brother would just shake his head walking past me. You're in here again. Mum and dad are going to kill you. I was like, yeah, I, I know. I've worked that out. So my parents got me um, a dog, uh, which was slightly off the wall as a as a strategy. But they, I'd always wanted a dog and I admired them. And they were like, no, 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 we're not having a dog. And they bought me a dog and I just loved this dog. Her name was Carrie. It was a black lab and she was everything. But they said, if you get this dog, you're in charge of this dog. You're doing everything for it. You're picking up its business in the garden. You're going to walk it. You're going to fit. You're in charge of it. And that was a moment where I, I, I suppose I um, not just fell in love with the dog, but fell in love with the responsibility of owning it. I think I fell in love with um, that that discipline that you've got to have. If you've got a dog, it's a discipline. At the age of 10, you know, you kind of put all the responsibility and discipline on somebody else, on your parents, because you're just, you know, running and doing what you want. Uh, well, at least I was. Whereas this was a time when, you know, I really cared about the dog, but I, I understood the power of discipline. And it was around that time then that I would get up and I would walk the dog first. That was priority number one. Then I'd get the VHS mm. taped out. Then I'd watch the rugby. And there was a number of things that was a bit of a penny-dropping moment to say, Right, you're not great at things, right? But that's okay. And actually, what you can do now is you can have this discipline, and that is something you are responsible for, and you can own, and you can work on. And if you do those things and put in the effort, you will start to see improvements. And guess what? The dog was much better on a lead because I trained her, and she would sit down before we ever crossed the road. I don't know why I did that, but I just did that because I thought it was a good discipline thing to do. So every time we went to cross the road, she'd sit down and we'd look either way and then we'd cross the road. And we did, we did all this and she'd eat at the same times. And, you know, that was a probably a big part of it. And But I, I started to really enjoy that discipline of getting up and doing it. And I'm, I'm still doing exactly the same today. I still get up and learn every day. You know, I'm still learning about leadership. I still train every day. It's those things that I think, have been a part of me learning to fly and I think helping me to fly as well because mm -hmm. if you do put the effort in you are going to get better mm -hmm. like I said before I'm not going to break any records on stuff but I am going to get better and then when you get better at something that's when you feel like I'm flying 
I'm here or I'm in the zone or I'm in flow. Brilliant. And I'm just going to um, just close the loop on that conversation because there's something that happened when you were given responsibility, which is that other people believed you were worth giving responsibility to. So at the age of 10, your parents were, there was an underlying, whether they would, you know, say it out loud or not, there was an underlying belief that we're going to take a risk on him. We're going to give him this dog and we're going to see how he copes. But when when children have someone do that to them, often they then think there's an underlying, well, someone thinks I can do this. So maybe I've got to step up. Yeah. That belief thing. Yeah, it's a it's a badge, isn't it? When you don't believe in yourself, you can borrow someone else's belief. Mm. You know, belief is huge. Yeah, we know if we go into something believing we can do it, you know, it's it's a powerful thing. Mm. And I, uh, I mean, I hate. I almost want to slap myself around the face for referencing Jurgen Klopp because he is the coach of Liverpool, which is the across Stanley Park from the team I adore and support, the mighty Everton. And I've had, actually have a really good start to the season until the last couple of games. But I remember when they were 3-0 down um, and they were playing against Barcelona in the Champions League and everyone would, had written them off. And I remember what Jurgen Klopp said to them to give them the belief. You know, people don't think we can do this. But I'm looking around this changing room. I'm looking at the people we've got in here and I absolutely believe that this is possible. Let's go out there and play our game. And what he's done there is he's taken the pressure off and he's given them that belief that they can go and achieve that. And if they didn't believe, they can borrow his. And absolutely, I've never thought about it, but I think that's probably what my parents did for me. We believe in you. You can be in charge of this dog and off you go. And she was my best friend for years. That's not, you know, I wasn't a lonely child. I don't want to uh, make out. I was um, sitting at home crying on my own all day because I wasn't, I was very fortunate. I had lots of good friends and lots of great family. Um, but she was my best friend and we would just spend so much time together. And you're right, they, there was, it was in the message that was given to me by the fact that they got me the dog and said, over to you, kid. Brilliant, Drew. And thank you for mentioning my team that I absolutely love, which is Liverpool. Are you a Liverpool fan? Sorry, Drew. We never had this conversation. We, we, we didn't have this. You, you, you managed to keep that to yourself before we got on this podcast. <laughs> Somehow I've managed to get you uh, onto my podcast. <laughs> I love it. To be, to be fair, I went, I was very fortunate. A really good friend of mine, Sophie, um, invited me to the induction of Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola into the Hall of Fame. I mean, it was a mega, mega evening and it was great because um, Gareth Southgate was there and I know Gareth from a couple of leadership things um, I've done and we've been at together and I saw him and it was an amazing event. But Jurgen Klopp just spoke so well and I'm an Evertonian, of course I am. I think he was a better fit for Everton than <laughs> Liverpool. Um, not that I mind Carlo Ancelotti, I like him too, but I think he'd have been a better fit Everton, but we'll move on. But he was just brilliant and, and I loved how he talked on stage. You know, people said, what's your greatest achievement or what do you want to be known as? And he was like, I want to be known as a good human being. And I was like, oh, I, I want to be friends with this guy. Yeah. You know, he's that kind of guy. He was funny, charismatic and brilliant, you know, brilliant. No, brilliant. And, and interestingly, similarly to me, I'm always interested in, in the, the trigger, the thing that moves, you know, the what you're looking like as a loss into a win and what happened there and and what was the trigger. And, and absolutely always remember that that night in Barcelona. And there was another night that I remember him saying, you know, it doesn't matter whether we win or lose this game. What matters is that we keep our character. 
So you second half keep your character like yeah. about that. And I just think, well, we're always in, we're always able to do that. Yeah. So just like you're talking about, I'm not the most skillful person in the world, but actually in terms of developing your character, you are quite skillful and you are quite determined. And so probably you'll always be able to fly. I think you I think you're right. I think you you have to learn to understand what you can control. And and if it's within your grasp, which actually, you know, in the world we're living in, a lot of the leadership work I'm doing at the moment, yeah, it is a difficult world. Yeah, we are in the middle of a pandemic. And there is a lot of uncertainty, but there's a lot of certainty as well. And we forget that. We forget how much we can actually control. Now it's an old cliche and it's a tired cliche, control the controllables. But it's blooming true. You know, we can control so much. And when we grab hold of those things we can control, I think that's the greatest contributor to flying for me. Yeah. That's how I understand it to be. That's brilliant. Thank you. So, um, Drew, anything else over the years that's helped you learn to be yourself? So I often have well, have this thing with flying school, which is be you and inspire and then inspire others. So how else have you learned to be yourself over the years? Is there anything else that's helped? So I would probably say two things. Um, I'm always on the go. I am high energy, low IQ is how I <laughs> like to refer to myself. And I just don't pause enough. And I'm really, really big into pausing at the moment. You know, I've read loads of books on this, as you would expect. I will bore you with some of the titles now. The Pause Principle by Kevin Cashman, great book about how powerful the pause actually is. Great book called Do Pause by Rob Poynton. I was fortunate enough to share the stage with him um, about how the pause boosts creativity. Stillness is the key, Ryan Holiday. Wait by Doug Partnoy. There's so many books about, just take a minute, will you? Literally just take a minute because we're always on the go. And I think that pausing and, and giving yourself a minute to really work out what's going on is potentially a bit of a forgotten art. You know, we're picking up our phone and we're looking at what's on social media or we're reacting to the ring, ding and ping of whatever's happening on our phone. We've got to just take a moment sometimes, you know, to, to kind of be where we are. So I've, I've learned a bit more to pause and to, and to just reflect and, and to think. I think that the difference between an average person and a high performing person is their ability to think. And I think we're almost losing that ability to really think I think too often we go into automatic pilot and we just kind of roll things out this is how I'm going to do it well this is what must happen and we're not really thinking about what's going on we're not really appreciating what's going on either you know there's some golden moments in our lives but we're skipping on because we're going to do something else or again as I said earlier we're living in the past and the other thing I think that has has been really crucial to me is, is just knowing myself working to know myself. I'm a real leadership geek, so I love psychometrics. I love any online test that gives me some feedback about myself. I love talking to people who, who know me well and they give me feedback and they tell me what they think. You know, I was doing um, a talk once and uh, Stuart came actually and took a really good friend of both Stuart and mine, Tony Smith, and they were in the audience and the feedback they gave me after I'd spoken was just fantastic. You know, learning all the time. It's that stuff I talked about earlier. But the more I live and hopefully the more I can pause, the more I can know myself, the more I can be self-aware, the more I can look at myself and go, that's triggering you for the wrong reason. That is, that is sending you down the wrong path. 
and trying to capture that. It's the Daniel Goldman stuff, isn't it? You know, self-awareness is great. A lot of people are actually pretty self-aware, but it's whether they can then self-manage on top. And it's a management of yourself that I think can help you get to a point where you can fly because you've got to root out some of the weeds in the garden for some of that faulty thinking um, that, that we can have, which is a, a phrase used by my good mate, the sumo guy, Paul McGee. You know, that we can have that faulty thinking sometimes, which can throw us off track. Being aware of that doesn't always get rid of it, but it can help you manage it. Brilliant, brilliant answer. And I think what I'm what I hear from that is that working on yourself, building yourself awareness, and just I guess the thing that maybe you haven't said that I am noticing is how open you are to learning, like learning from others. You are so open-hearted to read everybody's books, to listen to the feedback, to act on stuff. Like that's part of it, isn't it? It's it's that willingness to not need to be right. There's something in get talking to you drew that makes me think that you're you almost start from that position of i might be wrong and then suddenly you've got a lot more doors that you can sort of access and open because of the position you're starting from does that make sense yeah i think if you'd have lived my life you'd go well you've been wrong a lot in your life drew so you've kind of got used to it pal so <laughs> and that's that's just the way it's been no i think I think it is. I mean, you know, school was really tough for me, but I learned some really valuable lessons as we always do. But it's like that famous John Maxwell quote, you know, experience isn't a great teacher. People say experience is a great teacher. It's not. And it never has been. Evaluated experience, that's the teacher. And I think I look back at my my life and when, when things have been difficult or I haven't known the answer, that's okay because no one can know all the answers and even as a leader I would never have gone in and said this is how we're doing it guys I'd have said I've got a couple of ideas but how do you think we do it or what do you think we need to do because you know you're great and I talk about this a lot in leadership you know we don't ask the front line enough and as we know the vast majority of the best ideas and the highest performing organizations come from the front line and why is that because they're the ones doing the job So I've always kind of had this mindset and, you know, the fact that I've not known answers in the past, that's okay. But learning to find the best answer, that is really exciting. And if you can keep an open mind, you know, you will learn to fly. I suppose, you know, you could talk about parachutes and flying, couldn't you hear about, you know, parachutes are only good when they're open. I saw a quote about that, you know, not so long ago, and your mind's the same. Mm -hmm. Your mind can only really function properly like a parachute if your mind's open and it's about you know get over yourself you know I know it was a very kind introduction but you know doing a tv show it was you know part of just doing the school we just did our job and working in the leadership world has has been a huge privilege just like it was at the school working with some incredible people has been a huge privilege but it's all been about learning and, and it's not about any one person having having the answer. I think it's just about going through everything and taking everything you can out of the experience and trying to add as much value back in from what you've learned to other people. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, I mean, when I always often think about this, not it's a bit, it's a bit morbid, this, but what are people going to say in your eulogy about you? You know, who's going to be around your deathbed and what are they going to be saying about you? You know, and hopefully we've 
both you and I have got a few years left in us. But when that day happens, what are people going to be saying? As Steve Jobs said, have we left a dent in the universe? Or have we just existed and got through and moved on to the next thing? Or have we really been there? Have we really tried to help develop people? Have we really learned to be better ourselves? And every person should be sculpting themselves every day to, to get better and be better. And, you know, I'm not always a great dad and I'm ashamed of some of my behavior with my own kids, you know, when I'm short with them or they've, they've come down to show me something and I'm watching the football, you know, and I don't give them the time they need. We should all be trying to get better all the time. And I think if we, if we had that mindset towards life, we probably wouldn't go far wrong, but I, I think, there's a real danger when people start to go, well, I've got the answers. I'm the expert. I know, you know, I've done this. I've done that. I don't think anyone's an expert. And actually hanging around people like that, they're real pain in the backside. They're not, they're not particularly nice to be around because it's their version of the world and no one else's. So, you know, I, I read the work from um, Edgar Schein about humility and helping, you know, humble inquiry, just ask questions. You know, because when we make statements, you know, a really good mate of mine often says to me, a statement made is a question lost. Absolutely agree with you there, Drew, that this position, you know, the thing that helps us fly is this sense of, of learning. And you said so much in, in what you were just, just talking about then. Is there anything that stopped you over the years? Yeah, I think sometimes for me, um, if I'm working on something that I'm just not good at, it becomes a problem for me. Uh, the, I think the strengths research, I don't know if you've read much of Marcus Buckingham um, and Donald O'Clifton, who they kind of started up. Tom Rath still talks about his kind of stuff now. I, I remember something really profound that I read that um, we need to change the way we look at our strengths and weaknesses. So a strength is something that strengthens you. And a weakness is something that weakens you. Now, you might be going, Drew, you just stated the blindingly obvious here. Like, can you give us something a bit more? But that was a, one of those times when I thought, right, that makes sense to me now. Because if I'm not good at something, you know, so I'm not the best writer, I'm not a particularly fast reader, making myself do more of that really did weaken me I found it really exhausting I'm not in flow I'm not flying I'm falling right when I'm pushed into something I'm not great at now please don't misunderstand me I'm not suggesting that you can't do those things but I am suggesting that we should really manage around and, and be very aware of when we are doing those things that can weaken us then look at your strengths they're the things that strengthen us me being with people me learning, sharing ideas, me trying to get better, me talking leadership, me um, observing great leaders and great teams. That's what strengthens me. And that's when I feel like I'm flying. So there's a major part in this for me, which is around know what you're good at. And this was always my concern working in all sectors. But I'll use education as an example. You know, if you're not good at maths in a school, what does the school do? Rachel, do you know what they do? They give you more of the same thing. You do kind of uh, an extra maths lesson and you might be taken off something that you like. And I've done these things, by the way, so I'm not being critical. We've all done them. And there's a reason for that. But what does that do to the person who's having to do more of the thing that they're not good at? 
and more and more of the things that we're not good at. And there's a great tendency when I work in the leadership world, when I'm talking to a leader and I'm saying to them, you know, they're saying, I'm not good at this and I want to work on this with you. And I'm going to go, well, I really do want to find a way of working with you on this, but let's spend more time over here. Let's take those strengths to be super strengths. Let's send you to be flying rather than falling. And I think it's a really careful management we have to do. And again, that comes down to knowing yourself. It comes down to pausing. So I don't, I don't think there's any way you can get rid of all the things that might be a weakness for you. But the things that have stopped me in the past is when I've spent too much time and I do have obsessive personality. So I'm kind of, if I'm doing leadership, I'm going to do it. If I'm talking, you probably notice you ask me a question, you'll be editing this down, I think, significantly. Otherwise, it's going to be used as a cure for insomnia and not a lot else. But if if you if I spend too much time on those things that weaken me, it's going to stop me flying. If I spend my time in my strength zone, that's when I'm flying. And I think we need to encourage that more and more. Yes, we're going to have to do things we don't like. Yes, we're going to have to manage around those. But I'm really... Um, one story. Have you read the Icarus Reception um, Deception by Seth Godin? Yes. Yeah. Right. It's a it's a it's a fantastic book about flying. Mm -hmm. But what I was intrigued with in that story, so it's about the flight of Icarus, and we all know about the flight of Icarus, and he was told don't fly too close to the sun, and he did, and his wings and all the other bits and pieces. He was actually told in the story, don't fly too low, because the soul will rot your wings. And I thought. Right, that is like, that's a part of life, isn't it? And Seth Godin says we very often get pushed into that mediocre mainstream, just be average, just get by. And I'm like, no way. You know, no one's going to be on the deathbed or have the eulogy where somebody goes, you know what, he was a really average guy with a really average life. Don't want that to be said. So it's not just about flying too high and getting too big for your boots. We've got to be careful of the other side of, of actually having a poverty of expectation for ourselves. And I think if we do that, that can really pull you down. And I've probably done that myself in the past. You know, I will limit myself probably because of some of the stuff I carry with me because of what's happened in my school life. You know, you, when I was asked to be head teacher, by the way, I didn't apply for the job because I, I would never have thought I could have done it. But I was approached to do the job at the school. And I remember thinking, like, who on earth is going to want me to do that job? You know, why me? Why would they want me to do that? You know, I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. There's much better people that can do it for me. And I maintain I wasn't a great head teacher. And I'll always maintain that. But I remember when they offered that job to me, I was probably holding myself down. I was flying too close to the sea rather than flying too high to be able to do, um, or at least in my mind, to be able to do the job. So those two things, really, I think focus on your strengths because um, they're the things that strengthen you and be really careful about your weaknesses, those things that weaken you. And also don't hold yourself down. There's people I work with and I'm going, no, no, you are better than that. It goes back to your point before, you know, borrow someone else's belief. If you've not got it at the time, and we all struggle with that, the best operators in all sectors, some of the, the, the elite sports coaches I've worked with say to me, that voice on the pillow, that little voice when I put my head on the pillow at night gnaws away at me. We all doubt ourselves. So be aware of where your beliefs are and how good they are. And if you've not, get, get those people around you that really believe in you. You know, my parents really believe in me. My brothers really believe in me. My wife really believes in me. My kids, you know, they think that, you know, most of the time, but well, actually, 
No, they probably don't because they're teenagers now. So your dad's a loser when you're a teenager. <laughs> However, that all changed when I did a talk with TikTok the other week. And now oh. I'm back to having legendary status just because I work with a social media platform. Rachel. Wonderful, true. So much that you've said in that. Um, I just want to just reiterate. I love that analogy of flying and being careful, almost asking yourself the question, are you flying too close to the sea? Um, are you getting salt in your wings? Because I think many of us feel that that's a safe place to be. Um, and Great call. We just go, well, let's just stay there um, under the radar is, is another way of putting it, isn't it? That's it. That's it. You know, if we don't make too many waves, we're not going to upset anyone. Um, and I've definitely done that too. That is a that is a really good point. Stay under the radar. Be below average. Just muddle through. But I suppose why not you? Why can't you do that? Yeah. And and in that world of being under the radar, we don't get to experience the feeling of flying. Absolutely not. Yeah. We're we're, we're scraping along the floor, aren't we? Yeah. So what everything that you're saying to me, Drew, is that it is really possible to be much higher than that. And there's loads that you've said in there. You know, I just really want to, you know, the eulogy reflection isn't morbid for me. It's the thing that pushes us to be above the radar. It's the thing that drives us because actually when by the time we get to our eulogy, we can't do anything about it. So just being aware of that now gives us so much um time and space to be able to do things how we want to do them and, and experience that feeling yeah absolutely love that so drew i could keep talking to you for hours so i'm just going to take us uh, just before we sort of start to close i just wanted to check just around children so flying school for me is about helping children learn how to fly and um you know as a teacher as a dad what what are your sort of top tips what if i mean you've said so many so um it's almost as well as what you've already said, is there anything else that you'd want to say that how we can all help our children fly? Can I, and you can tell me not to, but can I widen this out a little bit more than just coaching and teaching and being a dad? Mm. Because I know it's more nuanced, but for me, it's all the same thing. You know, I, I got into coaching at a very young age, so people don't realise this very often, but I was in elite sport before I was in teaching. And I saw that what a coach does is what a teacher does. And then as I got into leadership within education and carried on the stuff in sport, I saw that what a leader does is the same as what a coach does and what a teacher does. So I, can I speak a little bit more holistically about this? I want to talk to CEOs in the same way I want to talk to a parent because we're all leaders. And this is one of my things that I want etched on the gravestone to carry the eulogy. And I, everybody's a leader because to quote John Maxwell, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So we're all influencing something. And that can either be good or bad. We're influencing our neighbour. We're influencing our kids. We're influencing the people in our business. We're influencing our co-workers. We're leading left, right and centre. So I just want to widen it out. So, yes, I will reiterate some things. Um, belief is huge. You've said it. I've said it. I know it's true. Um, I think we have to work on people's beliefs. Everyone talks about strategy and tactics. And my goodness, they're important. But the research says they'll probably less make less than 60% of the difference. It's the cultural stuff. It's the beliefs that people have. I'm fascinated. I started working on this um, about 12 months ago about belief banks. I think we, ha we have a belief bank, all of us, and you can make credits into that belief bank, but you make withdrawals. So be careful about the way we behave because we're either adding credits or we're taking things out. 
So I think that for me is is really big. And if we had more people in the world going, am I putting a credit in here? Am I taking a withdrawal here? That could really make a big difference uh, in in the place. Yes, I think we all are riddled with insecurities. I am, you will be, everyone in the world will be, no one's got it together. Don't fall for the fact that we think people have it all together because they haven't. They're very often what they put out there. They are broken behind the scenes or having a tough time. So be there to lend belief to other people, I suppose. Be there to kind of give it to other people. And, and if we're not feeling good, know those people around you who can add value to you. Your environment is critical. You know, we are what we eat. We are who we hang around with. Fact. So, you know, the famous saying, you know, we walk at the pace of the five people we spend most of our time with. Make sure those five people are going to be adding value to you. Um, I think working with other people will sometimes mean that we have to help them reframe things. I think we have to get them to see things differently. And we, whether that's using counterfacts or disputation or theories of reframing, this is about helping people see something a bit different. Because when we see something, and again, this comes down to self-awareness stuff, we're seeing quite a narrow focus. Whereas actually, is there another view of this? And actually getting people to reframe that, whether it's with a coach or a mentor or a loved one or a family member, you know, we don't often see things straight. We'll be very biased and that can be a good or a bad thing. So use people to help us see straight. And probably the final thing um, that I'm, I'm really passionate about is that we, we we very often think this is from the book Sean Aker called The Happiness Advantage and again I've talked to Tony Smith um, about this the rugby league coach great friends with him he's a, an incredible leadership thinker too often we think that success we've got to work hard work hard work hard get success and then we're going to sit back and be happy we're going to sit on our deck chairs well, in our gardens at the moment, because we're in lockdown 2.0. But we're going to sit on our deck chairs and we're going to have a daiquiri or whatever. And we're going to be happy because we've been successful. doesn't happen that we might get a little fleeting moment. But what it teaches is, is the happiness. Get people happy and that will lead to success. We've got it the wrong way around. And my goodness, that is that is right. It is true. There's so much joy and good stuff in the world that actually let, let's think about that. Let's get people happy. You know, talk about people about what they can, talk to people about what they can do, create happiness. And I don't mean glib happiness. I mean, scientific happiness within our organizations, within our homes, within our relationships. And that will help people to be successful. That will help people to, to fly. And, and I and love that. And if you're a parent, how, you know, what, how do you do that? How do you help your children find the happiness before the success? Well, yeah, so that is the big deal, I think, isn't it, for parents? I think we all want to have our kids being happy. I mean, I, I went on a real learning curve. A really good friend of mine, John Clark, who is um, a head of performance, I think, I think that's his title. But anyway, he's, he's in, works at England Rugby Union, and, and he's a great guy. And we were talking about spending time with our kids and actually putting time aside to actually spend time with your kids, not watching TV and stuff. And, and he came up with this idea of actually doing like a date time with your kids. Rather, I've got three boys. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than actually having them all together, actually spending individual time, getting to know them, getting talking to them and finding out what's worrying them, but also finding out what they love. 
You know, so when I started doing this, I had to learn how to play Rocket League and I was bloody rubbish. And it's basically a game. Have you heard of Rocket League? I have, yes. It's oh, do you know about it? Right. <laughs> you play football in a car, right? So I, I kind of got, so I was like, I was rubbish as well. But they loved the fact that I was rubbish and I was getting so mad. Like and, uh, some of the language used probably wasn't the best, to be honest. But it, it, it was spending time with them, getting on their level and understanding their world. And, and then talking to them about their world. I'm going to, can I do a shameless plug only because this answers your question? And it just happens to be next to me. My my great friend, Paul McGee, um, the sumo guy we mentioned earlier, did this book called Yes. And it's about um, his sumo secrets, which stands for short move on for kids. And, and I am very passionate and evangelical about this book. Now, I gave it to my two older lads when the manuscript came through. And they were like, Dad, this is really good. And there's things in there that can help your kids about how to move on. It's okay to have a bad moment. What great advice. My youngest son is going through it with my wife at the moment. She's reading it to him um, when when he goes to sleep at night because he can really worry about, I'm going to get coronavirus and I'm going to die. And then he's got like, I can feel my heart pounding if I've got coronavirus. Uh, I'm breathing, Dad, if I've got coronavirus. It's at that point. And he's getting really stressed about it. And I think a lot of people are. This book for me has been really good because Paul talks about red cap, blue cap thinking and, you know, the fast and slow thinking and, you know, put your blue cap, you know, be more logical. And I, and I think getting to know your kids and getting to know their quirks, but then actually working with them, maybe using Paul's book. I, honestly, I think every single parent in the world needs to get that book for their kids and read it themselves. That's how good I think it is. It's going to be a game changer. But it's getting on your kids' level and it's finding those strategies that is going to, are going to work for the position that they're in. Wow. Well, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm, going, to, um, I'm going to definitely get the book, but I'm also going to try and get Paul on, on one of these podcasts. That'll be I'm great. sure he'd do. Honestly, I'm sure he'd do it. Um, I was talking to him earlier this week, actually. He's a great friend and someone who teaches me much, but he'd be great on here because his book is all about helping young people to fly. Mm-hmm. And he's so passionate about it. So so in summary from what you've said just there, um, Drew, it's time with your kids, like quality time. For me, I heard it's equality. It's getting onto their level. It's not trying to be better than them or worse than them. It's equality. It's being alongside them. And then it's searching to understand their world, their context, what's going on for them without doing it from your own position of what I think your world looks like. It's actually, what does it really look and feel like? Because we don't know it. So brilliant advice, brilliant wisdom. So Drew, I know we're coming to the end now. So is there anything else that you wish that you'd said? Any other pieces of wisdom? You've shared so much. There's so much I can pick up on. But yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, I mean, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I love talking about this stuff, as you can probably tell. And like I said earlier, you probably will have to edit some of this out. Um you know, people will be crashing the cars if they're listening to the podcast. They'll be drifting off. I think the, the the one final thing I'd say is, and this is a piece of advice to myself, I kick myself up the backside, you know, as we are always the hardest person we ever lead when I'm talking to leaders. You know, we, we, you know it's, we're leading ourselves. is is a tough gig being the CEO of me. Um, but I, I, I just don't think I enjoy the, the ride enough. I, I don't come across many people that, you know, are, are saying to me, I'm loving, I'm loving it. You know, 
I'm really enjoying my life and I know life's difficult and I'm not trying to say we should all be grateful, you know, that we're above ground and breathing. It can't be too bad kind of mindset. That can just be irritating, but I do. Yeah. There's just, just let's just enjoy it. Let's enjoy the difficult times, you know, and I'm, that's, that's a big thing for me at the moment. I think, you know, and enjoy where you are. Yeah. Life is difficult. People will say horrible things about you. People will do horrible things to you, but enjoy it. Cause there's a lot more good in this world than there is bad. Well, wow. Honestly, Drew, it's been such a pleasure to have you on chat to you and and, and really would like to touch you all morning. Um, just some of the highlights for me, really, which is that how much you care is how much you start to fly. And this thing around thinking around your eulogy and, and what you want that to be saying and what's important to you it's not experience that's the teacher it's how you evaluate your experiences that's the teacher are you flying too close to the sea uh, leadership is it is actually influence and we're all influencing something whether we are three years old or whether we are 93 years old and so really thinking about the belief bank uh, just so much, so much. Um, so thank you, Drew, for sharing all of these stories and ideas. And I am so blown away by two things, really. One is how how humble you are, actually. And, and I think that just makes you so easy to connect with and so approachable. And how much you love learning. But not just how much you love learning, it's how much you love sharing your learning. And I just think we've learned so much from you today. So thank you. I know... That other people will want to even be able to connect with you more. So I know you've got a website, drewpovey.co.uk. You've got some books out. You've got social media. Is there anything else that you're working on at the moment that you wanted to share before we close, Drew? No, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we've got going on. I, mean, I hope you and I can do some stuff together. I'm obviously working with Stuart, Pierce and Tony, Simon Shaw, England, um, well, retired England would be player doing some work with him and um, just doing some great work, uh, working with Phil Denton and Mickey Mellon, the, the head teacher over in Ormskirk, Mickey Mellon, the, the football coach is up at Dundee now on a, on a, on a project as well about the first hundred days. It's just, just a privilege to work with great people, you know, in so many different ways. So I suppose it's just the case of watch this space, but if anybody wants anything else, you know, please don't hesitate to get in touch. There's loads of ways of getting in touch with it, social media. But I, I would want to say um, thank you to you, uh, Rachel, because this, this work for me is huge. Helping young people to understand how to fly is, is important. And this whole conversation has taught me a lot. Since we've met, you've made me think, which has been really good because I've, you know, I've got now some new ways of thinking uh, um, about how we should live our lives, which is this idea of flying. And certainly a, a personal thing for myself is I want to fly more and I want to help my kids fly. And I suppose I want to help other people in life fly too. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Drew. I'm really looking forward to what the future may hold. So everybody watch this space and I'm sure we'll be on again at some point as well. But thank you so much for your time today, Drew. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that's the end of our podcast for today. Thanks so much for listening. Please do share if you can so we can encourage as many people as possible to learn how to fly. And we'd also love you to join us. Please visit www.flyingschool.fun and send us your email. Thanks again. Till next time. Goodbye.